Hey everyone, and welcome to the not-quite-lost, but certainly long-delayed review of Behind the Mask. We talk about this a bit in our Spookies review, which is the episode right before this. This episode is coming out on June the 26th, but we actually recorded it all the way back at the beginning of the year, back in the first week or so of January. As mentioned in our Spookies review, we ended up going on a hiatus for a variety of reasons, which we discuss at length there. We thought it'd be more appropriate to do something else for our return episode after so long of a hiatus. So we did the Spookies episode first, and now here's our review of Behind the Mask. And we apologize for the delay, and if you hear a bunch of references to it being the start of a new year, that's why. Then a few days after this episode goes up, it's going to be Doug Jones Day on June the 30th, and we'll be reviewing The Darkling from the year 2000 on that. So that'll be out a couple days after this episode. Before we start the Behind the Mask audio, we would like to draw attention to something that's happened in recent weeks leading up to the release of this episode. Jesse Mallon, who's a musician whose work has been mentioned by our host Jacob many times on the pod, recently suffered a rare spinal stroke that has left him paralyzed from the waist down and has a long road to recovery ahead. Donations are currently being accepted towards Jesse's Recovery Fund, which you can read more about and donate at sweetrelief.org slash jessemallonfund.html. So that's s-w-e-e-t-r-e-l-i-e-f dot o-r-g slash j-e-s-s-e-m-a-l-i-n-f-u-n-d dot html. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and we do hope you enjoy this review of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, on this episode of Scary Stuff. And welcome to the very first episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast in 2023. This is Eric Dellinger, joined by co-host Nick Leamy. Hey everybody, how you doing tonight? And Jacob Jones Goldstein. Happy New Year. What a new year it is. <laughs> Maybe we can get this year right. I feel like we've been falling on our face, not in the podcast, just in general, the last... Oh yes, on a societal 18, level, absolutely. Some of them or so. <laughs> <laughs> but this time, we'll be different. But it won't be different. <laughs> We're like Steve. <laughs> well, I'm excited for year three. This is going to be fun. We got some cool stuff planned. Not necessarily tonight, but you know, after. <laughs> no, tonight is a Because You Demanded It episode. This was Hell a yeah. winner of our fan poll. So for folks who didn't catch it, we when we wrapped up our Elm Street franchise, we decided we'd do a poll just to do another you know, tangentially related movie of a particular category. Just kind of put a little bow on the Elm Street reviews. What ended up winning the first round was the category of Robert England movies. And then we had four contenders for that. And the winner was um, the movie we're doing tonight, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And it was the best choice, in my opinion. I love this movie. And it's actually perfect for me and my wife because, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this in the past episodes or not, but, you know, she has recently gotten into horror again. And we have done a full binge on, you know, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. Friday the Thirteenth, you know, and and that all that the is, movies referenced the, in this movie, <laughs> the perfect things to be watching for before, and, and then we capped it with this one, and she's like, "Oh yeah, this is great." <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this because for a few reasons. One is I, I expected it; it, would, it was probably going to win the poll just because the movie it, it does have kind of a pretty fond place in a pretty large portion of the horror community where it's kind of looked on fondly. I knew Jake hadn't seen it before. I had not. But what was fun about it is, well, I, I knew Nick dug it, and I knew Jake hadn't seen it, but what was interesting about Jake not having seen it is, A, we do know that from previous episodes that Jake likes horror comedies. But what's interesting for this is, I don't know if Jake remembers, but he and Jen bought this for me on DVD. <laughs> I do not remember that. It was either 2007 or 2008. The DVD came out in, yeah, in June 2007, so I think it was that year. And yeah, you got it for me. And we're like, we haven't seen this, but just came in and it sounded like an interesting mashup of stuff. It was, that was the year where I got concurrent birthday gifts of folks buying me movies because I like multiple genres of movies because Jake and Jen got me behind the mask because it was supposed to be this you know mashup of multiple genres. And I forget if it was my birthday or Christmas, but that year, Nick and Hannah got me wet, hot American summer. Hell yeah. For the same reason. <laughs> 
was like, well, you like all kinds of movies, and this is a parody of all kinds of movies, so here you go. So that was the first time that, that year I saw, for the first time, Behind the Mask and also Wet Hot American Summer. Well, see, I would have definitely watched Behind the Summer, The Wet Hot Rise of Leslie Vernon. <laughs> that, that's a very different-themed genre of film. <laughs> well, now, that, here's a question. Having seen both of those, Eric, which one has the more gratuitous boob shot? Because I feel like it's got to be this one. Uh, this one hurt. <laughs> it's probably because I don't. Re- it's it's. I haven't watched Wet Hot American Summer since I first saw it, and I want to go back to it. I mean, there's bits of the movie I, that stand out. Paul Rudd, you know, comically flipping shit over. You know, the whole all the scenes with Christopher Maloney in the can. Oh my god! But I don't remember the the uh, gratuitous nudity bit from that. So oh, I don't either. I'm just assuming that it was oh, okay. Wet Hot American <laughs> Summer. I I swear though, for this film, the gratuitous shot in it. It really felt like they they filmed the movie, did all the post production, put it together, looked at it, and said, "You know, something's missing." <laughs> it, was, it was such an afterthought and just thrown in last minute. I almost feel like they had a camera guy and a brand new extra that had nothing to do with the film prior. They go, "We just stand here, lift the shirt. All right, we're good." <laughs> well, you think they showed it to like Frank Mancuso, the producer of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise? And sat him down since he produced all those and showed it to him and like, what do you think? And it's like, you missed one. <laughs> you missed one thing. You missed one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so close. It's just so hilariously gratuitous. But but you're right. Now, I had not seen this. I was looking forward to it because I knew Nick liked it. And I was also kind of had a bad attitude because yet again, I lost a poll this time twice. <laughs> we all did on this one, sort of. <laughs> Yeah, but for me, it feels personal. Well, yeah. No, no. You you need to get used to that. All I right? am used to it. It doesn't mean I'm not mad about it. I'm used to people cutting me off in traffic. doesn't mean I still like it. <laughs> you are an important and crucial part of this podcast, and we love you and your opinions. We would not be the same without you. That being said, our fan base will never agree with you on a poll. It's just not going to happen. It might. No. Never, you don't know. It won't. No, it won't. <laughs> Unless you actively go against your instincts just for the win, I don't think you're going to win. <laughs> That's cheating. Don't do that. <laughs> All of a sudden, what, Jake, why is your contender for the next poll fucking subspecies? <laughs> <laughs> Always wanted to watch that. <laughs> Jake's like, oh, I fucking love Charles Band. I want to do the Saw franchise for our next franchise, yes. <laughs> you would like to do that one because you have a bit of an association with that franchise, at least via the Sixers, sort of. The entire Sixers team's killed in the seventh movie. Well, yeah, that too, but no. No, there's a podcast. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's the podcast. Is it the rights to Ricky Sanchez or whatever it is? They do the Saw bit and they... Oh, yeah, they, yeah, 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 yeah. It is the rights to Ricky Sanchez. Yeah, they do the jigsaw at the end. Yeah, I remember because you were playing it in the car at one point, and I heard that you hadn't haven't seen the films, and but they played the Charlie Clauser theme, the bum 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 bum. bum yeah, I had bum, no idea one. it was from that. I was on earth. I was like, the fucking th- what are they playing the saw theme for? You know, it's the saw <laughs> bit they do, but you're not knowing no. it was from the movie. So yeah, well, that's from the fucking. Film. Well, Spike Eskin is a horror movie fan, so I mean, I'm sure he's he's seen them. But yeah, well, I guess there's that connection. I don't know if it's enough to make me wonder. What is it like? Ten movies in that series? We're gonna make an eleventh one right now. Granted, the franchise I've been pushing us to do this year is probably markedly worse than the Saw franchise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least in quality. I'm excited about them based on the same principle. I don't think <laughs> it's it's nearly as long. I don't I don't think it will be as productive in quite the same way as the Saw franchise. Because uh, I swear we'll get into Behind the Mask shortly. At least we're talking about a slasher franchise. But <laughs> why I'm so fond of the Saw franchise in particular is... They keep building on the mythology. Yes, I love that. But particularly once you hit four on, uh-huh. where they get real bad, but but fun bad, because it's like five movies straight that are predicated on, but what you didn't know, but what you didn't know, and it just keeps, <laughs> wait, but you didn't know there's a box, but you didn't know there's the key to the box, and it's all this series, it all takes place in like 48 hours, it's like five movies yep. worth of shit. Yup. I have to give Saul this much credit, so like, the, I really love like, the, I think the first three are my, are my solid sweet spot, and then they start kind of breaking their own rules, and then they come back with other movies and go, oh, but here's why those rules are broken, I'm like, okay, okay, I like that. I can't give you too much Oh, sure, credit. but when Paranormal Activity does it, you're like, fuck this franchise. 
Jake. <laughs> Jake. Jake. Nick snapped. Jake. I won. I, are, are, Already. Are, you, are you defending the ghost dimension? No. Then shut the fuck up. <laughs> no. As always, I'm defending the marked ones. And look, I said the marked ones so our readers know what our listeners know what I'm talking about. Not marked ones by itself. You're, I, I like the marked ones. And next of kin. We all of loved next of kin. Oh, oh dear God. Right? Right? Just me? Okay. <laughs> I, I do have one one upside to the Saw franchise, and I think I would enjoy doing it on the podcast because I used to consistently refer to it as torture porn, and that got Nick's goat every single time. And I would like to do that over a course of eight episodes. That would be fun. <laughs> like we're if we do nothing else on this, we stick to a bit well on the podcast <laughs> and run it into the goddamn ground. <laughs> Well, 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 I'm I'm always excited to do any of this stuff. Like I've never seen any of the Saw movies, and now Chris Rock is involved, and that fascinates me. So I really need to see that one. Yeah, that's high on my to do list. We're we're way off track here, and it's way. And it's, oh yeah, we're not even close to track. I'm just gonna say, you know, it's easy to get off track with this film because it just has so many touchstones in it to it's just a other slashers. Homage. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it's a love letter to slasher films, and it's done. Mwah, just kiss it's just i i enjoy this way too much and it hits all the right buttons for me it's funny one of the things that and <laughs> scrolling through my notes on it and all the franchises we just talked about you know nick ran down all the franchises he's watching with hannah we talked about paranormal activity we talked about saw we talked about all this there's only one bit in all my notes that's in all caps and it's the bit where they're in eugene's place yes and there's the shot of the kitchen yes and what's on the cutting board <laughs> red bell peppers and a knife and it's like Paranormal Activity 4 before Paranormal Activity 4 was a thing. Yes! Red fucking bell peppers. There's another thing in there. It's another reference. Yeah, it's a puzzle box. You just see the puzzle box? Yep. Uh, A layman configuration just sitting on the table. Like, this... Oh, man. There's so many nods in this movie, and I love them all. Well, so, all right. So, to get into it, just out of curiosity, Eric, we got you this gift, so be honest. Mm -hmm. Apparently, we got you this gift. Did you like this movie? Uh, I do like this movie. I I like it. Um, I, I do not love it, and and we'll probably get into the the broad strokes of why as we go through. On that note, I'm curious where you fell on it, Jake. I very much enjoyed three quarters of it. Oh shit! Is that chronologically three quarters of it? Yep. Okay. The first three quarters. <laughs> there there is the shift in it that I think is very clever. Clever and yes, really made me disinterested in the rest of the film essentially uh yeah i'm somewhat similar yeah all right, all right before we get too far yeah we'll, into, we'll roll back to, because that's a big point of discussion so we got a lot to get through before we get back around to that i'd say nick you want to do the uh the old production rundown i could do that for you so as you may or may not have guessed by our ramblings we are actually discussing behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon tonight Hidden somewhere in that nonsense was the name behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. It was written and directed by Scott Glosserman, who also uh, did such films as The Truth Below and Truth in Numbers, everything according to Wikipedia. It was also written by David J. Steve, who wrote Days Like This. It's interesting. As much as I really enjoy this film, it's done by a lot of people who didn't do much else. So it's kind of intriguing that it got so much fanfare and recognition. Yeah, I didn't go back into the history. I, I have to assume this was a festival hit. That would make sense. That it played, in, and and just by nature of it, that it went over really big on, you know, especially like the horror indie circuit. I believe so. I In some of my reading about it, I, that, I feel like that came up. Because, I mean, there have been efforts to do a sequel to one degree or another for a long, long time. And there sort of kind of is a sequel, sort of, which we, maybe we'll talk about for the end, but not as a movie. This is the comic, yeah. Yeah, there's so for folks who haven't known, there's. Did anyone read it? I didn't pick it up yet. I did not. Okay. No, I I didn't realize it until I was doing my final kind of rundown of things. It was, it was the comic, and it's like shit, man. It's seven o'clock. I, I ain't got time. <laughs> I don't know how I missed it when it first came out because it's. I guess it's been out for like a year or two. But it, yeah, for folks who don't know, there is a comic that's available that is a. It's called Before the Mask, but I think it's actually a, a sequel more than a prequel. But it's called Before the Mask. The Return of Leslie Vernon. To my knowledge, the only place you can get it is what I, I believe is the official uh, Leslie Vernon shop, which is vernonsfarmhouse.com. So that's V E R N O N S 
F-A-R-M-H-O-U-S-E dot C-O-M slash shop. So go there. I think it's like $75. It's everything is like in an omnibus. So I didn't have a chance to pick it up in time for this recording. But yeah, I'd be very interested in reading it. Because Fuck yeah. I mean, yeah. anything that's a comic, absolutely on this podcast. But yeah. So anyone who's read it, if let us know what it's like. Because I, I didn't see too much else on it aside from the fact that it exists. This film was edited by Sean Present, who also edited Little Man and the television series Wipeout and L.A. Forensics. Cinematography was by Jaron Present. I'm assuming they're related. <laughs> who did cinematography for Rampage, Hours, and The Truth Below. Music by Gordy Hobb, who worked on ABCs of Death 2, uh, the Paradise theme episode, and Bloodshot and Scream Queens. No! Wait, is that the Bloodshot? Is that my Bloodshot? I don't think so. I think oh, it's no. a different Bloodshot. I'm going to pretend it is. I'm going to pretend <laughs> it is. I knew you would. <laughs> the, the, the Vin Diesel Vacuum Bloodshot. That's it. <laughs> and any kind of Bloodshot that you can fit in, I appreciate it. I'll just assume it's all the Vin Diesel movies. Special makeup effects artist was Eddie Freund, who also worked on The Divine and The Sasquatch Gang. Oh, shit, yes. <laughs> Expected more from Jake on that one. The Sasquatch Gang. The Sasquatch Gang. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I hope it's about like a mafia, a Sasquatch mafia, but I feel like I'm going to get disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a frame of reference for that. There was a recent uh, DC Comics black series called The Rogues, and one of the the ways that goes, they go to Gorilla City and get involved in the Gorilla City mob. Nice. So <laughs> this is like one of my top series of the year. But now, if, if you did the same thing with Sasquatches, I'm on board. Produced by Glen Echo Entertainment, who produced such things as Truth in Numbers, everything according to Wikipedia. Thank All you. right. <laughs> I just want to talk about Glen Echo for a second and not trusting IMDb's trivia and bloopers things. Well, it's IMDb, so. Well, right, but it's it's just kind of funny because I was going through them, I and, you know, last minute, like, oh, I'll just take a look because we had talked about it on a previous episode and I hadn't looked at any in a long time. And there, there's so many that are so contradictory on this. It's like, hold up, man. Just stop making shit up and writing it down. The one that got me is like, so when Glen Echo pops up, it's called, pops up as Glen Echo, Maryland, which is like, oh, that's a real place. That's not too far from us. That's kind of interesting. And then every fucking plate in this is in Oregon because yep. that's where they filmed it. <laughs> but there's also a Glen Echo in near Portland. Oh, so which is it? So IMDb under bloopers has, you know, Glen Echo is Maryland, but it should be Glen Echo, Oregon. But wait, <laughs> also per IMDb, the town in which the movie is set, Glen Echo, is based on a real neighborhood in Montgomery County, Maryland, near where the writer and director Scott Glosserman grew up. Notable feature of the area being a turn-of-the-century amusement park that stood mostly abandoned for several decades. As it deteriorated, it earned a fitting haunted reputation among locals. The carousel, for which the park is known, is referenced in Glen Echo Entertainment's logo. And then also, there's another one which says, the movie contains a subtle reference to the Blair Witch Project. And this is like the biggest fucking stretch I have ever seen on MDP. <laughs> like, I know we're, we're like talking about, you know, like how many things this reference, but this was great. This just made me laugh. The movie contains a subtle reference to the Blair Witch Project. Glen Echo, Maryland is a real town in Montgomery County, Maryland. Seneca Creek State Park, and the town of Burkittsville, the two main shooting locations for the Blair Witch Project, are also located in Montgomery County. Glen Echo is about a one-hour drive from the town of Burkittsville and less than a half an hour from Seneca Street State Park. That's not a reference. That's a fucking coincidence. Because this guy is from <laughs> Glen Echo, apparently. So, it being set in Maryland is not a blooper. It's supposed to be Maryland. They just didn't have the budget to change the license plates, so they're all in Oregon. Right. This happens to be a... <laughs> So, like, IMDb is obviously not to be trusted, but I, I had been curious because Glen Echo is not, again, it's not too far from us. I, you know, I'd heard of it. And then I do that thing where I notice license plates. So I was mad. And then the first IMDb thinks, oh, it was an error. Oh, okay. And then everything else said, nope, not an error. And I'm like, now I'm mad again. <laughs> like, I don't mean to pick on people on IMDb, although I'm going to one other time in this because there was... <laughs> There was a pretty, uh, all right, fuck it. I'm just going <laughs> to just throw this one out there. This was my favorite one. Cause I was, again, I was looking through the errors and all of the errors are wrong. So it's like, well, that's meta, but this is like <laughs> the most hysterically stupid IMDB error I've ever seen. So it's, we find out at the end of this is spoilers, by the way, this is a full spoiler podcast. I'm about to spoil the ending of this. 
because it's in it's part of this yeah. this little stupid good looking out i forgot that at the top you're welcome <laughs> yeah so anyway we find out at the end that taylor is supposed to be the virgin leslie was waiting for however throughout the movie she looks like she's wearing a wedding engagement ring combo sure she may not have consummated but what is the probability interestingly angela is it godel's was married at the time BTM was made. None of that's interesting, and none of that matters. You know, like this is this was listed under errors. Oh, she's wearing a wedding ring. Doesn't mean anything. Jesus Christ, could just be a ring. Shut up. Could be a promise ring. Could be an engagement ring. Interestingly, we as a community needed to have it come to a decision on the definition of goof. <laughs> but what made me laugh even more about that is the actress was in an Equalizer episode with Edmund Sumner. You know, an adult engaged virgin. That's true. In, um, that's true. So maybe it is all a reference. Maybe that's a reference to the, the Wicker Man. If we're oh, really that's... stretching shit out, the boy Witch and the Wicker Man. I don't think it is, but it'd be great if it was intentional. <laughs> of course it's not intentional. It's insane. <laughs> anyway. There are some decent references in here, though. Like, for example, when you're scoping <laughs> oh, out the yeah. school and there's, like, the three girls playing jump rope in the background. You know, there's your nightmare reference. And <laughs> the, apparently, the like, turtles the turtles' names. The, pet, the turtles' names were great. That was fun. Because they referenced the uh, turtles' Pet names Cemetery are, movies. The two turtles' names are, are named after the pets in Pet Cemetery 1 Church and, and two. Zoe. 1 and yep. 2, yeah. Sorry, I'm laughing at the idea. Just, like, flooding. <laughs> the thing with, like, bullshit trivia. It's like... Most folks think the character of Eugene is actually a reference to Billy from Black Christmas. However, upon re-reviewing, he's actually Dan Haggerty from Elves having shaved his beard. And- <laughs> 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 just force in clear references to horror movies that clearly wrong. Well, to be fair with the trivia of the pets, that was almost my favorite line in the movie, was I only keep pets I can eat. <laughs> <laughs> they just won't die. I guess my favorite reference is, is Robert Englund's character name, actually. Doc Halloran. It was Doc Halloran, which is a mashup of Shining characters. The the kid Danny, because his nickname is Doc, and Dick Halloran. So, like it's straight up in the Loomis outfit, too. I love it. Yeah, he's wearing the 100%. exact same outfit. 100%. It's like, oh, could you have given us, I shot him six times! I, I will, I, let me toss this out there, since we're just rambling at this point, we're, we're just completely cut Nick off from his job. Kane Hodder is very briefly in this, and he's going into the Elm Street house. Yep, mm-hmm. which is a great reference. And Kane Hodder is actually one of our two community connections. Hey, because Kane Hodder happened to be in a film called Born with Allison Brie, who was on Community. Uh, so I couldn't resist really? using that as a community connection. Oh. Yep, uh, fucking Born. Born. I got so excited when I saw Kane Hodder. I was watching, you like, motherfucker! Oh, <laughs> I am gonna piss them <laughs> off so much with this community connection. <laughs> All right, we previously had a no Zack Snyder rule on this podcast. Rule number two, no more Kane Hodder movies. It opens the door to Bourne. We're going to be the one podcast that avoids Kane Hodder movies. Why? Don't ask. This is like the second episode in a row I got to bring up Bourne. It's great. I know. Uh, Loving it. Loving life. I can't wait. We're going to have Bourne connections now instead of community connections. If you look on the telephone wire in this scene, behind the master is a raven, which is a reference to the raven drinking scene. (laughs) (laughs) Nature's Capri Sun, man. Let me just throw out the other community connection while we're on that when we get down to business. The costume designer on Behind the Mask is Raquel L. Jaffe, and uh, she was the set costumer on 33 episodes of Community, including horror fiction and seven spooky steps. Which is a send up and you know homage to other horror movies, much like Behind the Mask. So I kind of enjoyed that connection, well, it's, and it's a direct perfect. connection. She worked on both. You happy now, Nick? <laughs> I like direct connections. That's nice. There you go. I would have been if you hadn't brought up Born first. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the first episode we revisit. We're going to do our own episode as a, as a discussion. <laughs> We're going to do a deluxe edition to the Bourne episode. <laughs> all right. I got some other nonsense trivia, but I'll pepper it in now instead of just barfing it all out at the beginning. This movie was also produced by Code Entertainment, who produced The Grave Dancers, The Ice Road, and Noel. The Ice Road. Is that any relation to the Ice Harvest or possibly the Ice Storm? Fuck you. Can you hear Nick's middle fingers whooshing in front of the microphone? <laughs> Anchor Bay also brought us such classics as Silent Night, Deadly Night, Possession, 
and Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. You guys keep going. I'm looking up the ice road. No, no. I <laughs> <laughs> feel about watching that. We're just going to watch all ice movies one night. Hey, that'll be our Christmas trend this year. Just all horror movies with ice in the title. I'm, I'm only going to touch on some of the actors for various reasons. Again, half of these people have done very little. But some people of note, the character of Taylor was played by Angela Gerthels, who was also in Home Alone. She's one of the siblings. Really? Uh, Jerry Maguire and Spanglish. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We recently introduced the kids to Home Alone, and I, like, I saw them like, I know you. <laughs> like, you look familiar. I'm going to bring you up on the next podcast. You going to show them number two or just skip over that? Well, we have not done two yet, no. We might, but we haven't yet. Other people of note, obviously Robert England, who's the whole reason we approached this episode. Ooh, I'm not familiar. Who you may or may not know by now was in the Nightmare of Elm Street series. <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> he was also in, you may not know this, he was also in The Mangler. <laughs> the Mangler and V. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, V. Oh, yeah. Had to throw a V. Eugene is played by Scott Wilson. There we go. Liked. Uh, he's from The Walking Dead, uh, The Host, and Exorcist 3. You named the one I was up. So I knew. I knew. I saw him in this, and, and everyone, I mean, you see Scott Wilson, and he's obviously Herschel on, on Walking Dead. I haven't stuck with Walking Dead, but even I remember him as Herschel. But I was like, and he's been in a bunch, but it was like, no, there's something, there's something specific that I saw him in, and it was driving me nuts. That I couldn't remember it, so I had to pull up his IMDb. I remembered him in a bunch of shit, but I right. didn't. Re- I was like, "There's something I'm, I'm, something I'm missing." It's the fucking host. He's the doctor yep. in the beginning of the host who said, "Just pour all this shit down the sink." It's like, ah, yep. yes, that's right. Bong Joon Ho is the host. <laughs> Mrs. Collinwood is played by Zelda Rubinstein, hmm. who most will know from the Poltergeist franchise. And she was also in Wishcraft and Little Witches. She is delightful. This was her last film. Yes, it was. Yeah. Kelly is played by Kate Miner from Fifty Shades of Black, Shameless, and Persons Unknown. What the hell is Fifty Shades of Black? I chose not to look deeper on that is one. Is that <laughs> a Fifty Shades of Grey parody? I think so. And then, is that like a Marlon Wayne's parody, I think? That movie is a parody on its own. It doesn't need a parody. How do you parody <laughs> Oh, parody? yeah, I called it. Yeah, Fifty Shades, it's a Marlon Wayne's parody. Speaking of parodies, Doug is played by Ben Pace from Tookin. <laughs> Comet and Trouble is my business. <laughs> Todd is played by Britton Spellings from Some Guy Who Kills People, Going Greek in ER. <laughs> anyway, it's gonna, everybody else is just going to come back around. Yeah, and Leslie Vernon, or Leslie Mancusa, you may also know him as in this film. It's played by Nathan Basil from Off the Ledge, 20 Years After, and The Kill Count. He's fun in this. Like, he, he's, you know, good energy. You know, I, I often refer to people as like dollar store versions of other people. And my original note on this was had him as dollar store versions of Walter Goggins. And I deleted it by the end of it because I started to feel bad because he was just too much fun to make fun of. I was of. curious which way you'd go. Is are you going to go the route of Walton Goggins or are you going to do the dude from Psych? His name I'm I was going more Psych personally. <laughs> oh, I, it, be, it was between Walter Goggins and Ethan Hawke. Okay. He mm. reminds me of Ethan Hawke a lot in this. I can see that. But Walter Goggins felt more right. Either way, I thought he was great in this. Like he was a really he good is. time. I think he's very good. I, th- it it, it kind of gets into one of the the issues I have with with the film overall, which is I don't want to get too far into it if I can help it, but I think it's like we talked a little about it earlier. I think the concept is very good, but I think so much of the success of that first three quarters, aside from being amused by the concept, it pretty much all rides on him. Yes, yeah. and the occasional cam- you know, fun cameos by Zelda Rubenstein, Robert Englund, the actor who plays Eugene, who I'm blanking on his name from because he but the dude from the host, Scott Wilson. They're fun when they show up, but it's and and this isn't saying like everyone else is is not great or whatever. You know, everyone's trying, everyone's you know they're working actors and stuff, but it's but his energy's at a different level. Yeah, well, I and I think everyone else is you know, they're trying, but I I don't think the rest of the cast is in the ballpark of living up to the concept he does for the most part and i think that's part of the reason the last quarter stumbles there there's a few reasons i think when it does its pivot that it stumbles but i think one big one is the fact that you basically strip him out of the film and basically the, the comedy bits just no one else really makes him work 
and even no. more serious bits. No, it's, it's just yeah. Nobody else has any personality whatsoever. She does. But it changes but. from like three fourths of him and watching him and listening to him to okay. Well, he told you what he's going to do. How's he going to change it now? What, what level of untrustworthy narrator was he? And the fact of the matter is, is that it's not enough for the payoff. Like he he's a little too on script for it to be that because you're just, you're basically getting a lot of the, of what you've already gone through again with minor tweaks. Like it needed to be a little bit more drastically different than the way he described it. But the problem is, is that he's actively describing it per the actual slasher model, which kind of beholds him to not too many changes. And it's it's rough. It's rough to pull off at the end. It's also the the twist involving her is so blindingly obvious you can see it from space. Right. Yeah. Like the very second that that film shifts, and and I'll give it that that when the film shifts, it's kind of clever, like it's cleverly done. That moment. Yes. Yeah. Conceptually, it's really so. For anyone who hasn't seen, like the the, the film, this reminded me of. I'm sure variations on this concept have been done before. I mean, broader than mockumentary, specifically the killer mockumentary is the, the big one for me was Man Bites Dog. If anyone has seen Man Bites Dog. French film from 92, 93, something like that. It's been, I haven't seen it in years. Very, very good film. If you haven't seen it and you're curious about it, skip ahead and about spoil the ending. Concept of that film, it's totally, it's, it's different, but it is a dark comedy about a documentary crew following around a serial killer. And at the end of that, he just guns down the documentary team. And it's, it's not this big. So what you have with this movie is they decided to do something that was an interesting conceptual shift because there's there. It's not just a concept of we're following around a serial killer. It's folks who are following around a cinematic serial killer. And these are all folks who are on the periphery of a movie. And the idea of taking that last, you know, throughout the film, we're occasionally going to step into the movie itself, change the way the movie is shot. That's really fun. Conceptually. The execution of it is all right, but the idea of taking basically the last quarter of the film and going fully into the movie is that's interesting. And that's really ambitious, but yeah, it's, it, it just, ugh, it's, it doesn't click. Yeah. I, I had the same thing. It, I really enjoyed the first three quarters of the film. I guess it's about three quarters, maybe two thirds. I don't know exactly. I didn't break down the time, but everything that was essentially, you know, mockumentary found footage sort of deal. I, I, was engaged with i really like the idea of the whole thing being kind of a summoning mm. like this was a whole a whole thing built up to this one end goal of making him this thing this deity which is why you know the little after credits jump scare whatever is like it's it's kind of obvious but it makes sense you know it's because, coming yeah it's just right he basically told you he was going to do it's it set up earlier in the film too there's the nod to the fire retardant you know makeup and stuff like yeah the fire that. retardant okay, and how he can hold his breath and you know slow his heartbeat down yeah yeah so fun that they've set all that up yeah and i like how the whole thing is but yeah but the, like you said eric the problem is is that you you have the half established character and then him and a few other but she's she doesn't like you don't know anything about her like there's no reason to think she's a virgin or not a virgin or whatever there's just nothing there to you know, so well, it feels like ex machina when it when it shifts. I mean, you can see it coming, but there's no, you know. And then the other two people, you get like little bits of you know, like high fiving or whatever through the through the beginning, but they don't really establish any kind of personality. So when the camera shifts on them, it's like, well, okay, but there's no stakes at that point either. No, it's it, you're still vested in him, but now he's out of the picture. You have these people you don't know very well and aren't really super well established. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. And and for me, one other problem I had with the movie, and this is this is just a personal taste thing, but I think the mask makes him look like a human version of Pepe the King Prawn from the Muppets. And it just... <laughs> oh, dear God. Like, there's nothing, absolutely nothing scary about that. I just, that was, every time I saw it, all I could see was the Muppet. And it's like, all right, well... So, so one of my discussion topics was thoughts on on Leslie's design in terms of doing like iconic slasher imagery, and it was like I thought it was fun, you know, with the overalls and the hand scythe and the way they tried to, you know, do the apple orchard stuff to incorporate it. And I was like, what's everyone's take on the mask going to be? Because my brain went to, you know, when I saw this before, it was pre Neroy, and now when I see him, I just see yes, yeah, you know, the mask just reminds me of the poster for Neroy. 
<laughs> so so I see the mask differently. The Batman, the wrong thing hadn't occurred to me. I'm forever broken. I, I'm going to see that every time oh, well, now. Good shit. Oh my Mission God. accomplished. I'm done here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all I could see when I looked at him. So it's, you know, I, I did. The rest of his design was fine. It, even that was okay. It just, it wasn't Uncanny Valley enough to be creepy for me. Mm. So it was just kind of silly i guess but i mean not not terrible nothing you know nothing particularly wrong with it it just hit me wrong again there's a personal preference thing in terms of his visual design but that was my visual reference for it so clearly i just couldn't at all <laughs> with it but also you know it was it, it kind of lends itself to one of the overall problems with this is in terms of a horror comedy is it just doesn't get the balance right yeah which is hard to do but it's it's very funny you know and it, it felt like the, the two movies I thought most about watching this were Scream and Found Footage 3D. That's fair. You know, you can see the, the sort of through lines a little bit through those. Like, you can see Scream was less of a horror comedy and more, you know, metatextual, you know, whatever. And this was distinctly a comedy, and Found Footage 3D was closer to a regular, you know, a regular little horror movie than, a, than an actual horror comedy. And I think some of the comedy was just... I had a few comedic moments, yeah. I mean, some of the comedy was just me being a bad person, and I recognize that. <laughs> Found footage 3D is very much about, in part about what you bring to it. Yeah. At least when you're Jake. And I'm not, and again, I liked, in the end, I liked all three. Like, I, I certainly enjoyed this film. It just, it lost me towards the end, but I think the the first three quarters are so strong that it's still very much worth seeing. And all of the, you know, the horror references are, they're subtle enough to be fun, like, they're not beating you over the head. Like, you know, there's nobody coming out with a big sign going, this is Friday the 13th reference, ah, you know. And I like the conceit of them being in the same universe as Friday the 13th. That's Nightmare all one big like shared universe, yeah. That was nice, yeah. And I thought that was fun. Like, that was a fun conceit for the film. It just doesn't stick the landing. That That's really the biggest problem for me in the end. It just doesn't stick the landing. And I think really your feeling on this movie is going to depend on how much that landing misstep affects you. And for me, it's very little. Like, I can admit it was flawed, and I can admit that they could have done better, and I see where the issues stand. That being said, I had so much fun during the beginning that, you know, the shuffling and, and stumbling through the ending didn't just diminish that much for me, and I still really enjoy this movie. The other thing that kind of bugged me was the whole bit about she's empowering herself with cock. It's like, come on, we didn't need that. <laughs> that that was a real lead balloon of a joke for me. Yeah, the, the stuff that led into it, I thought was again, there are a lot of things it does that are that are fun conceptually. Part of the reason I brought up the reference to the movie Man Bites Dog is so I I picked up a copy of the script for this and I just ran out of time to read it before we got rolling today. So unfortunately I didn't have a chance to go through it, but apparently the draft I picked up is a draft that's just by David Steves. Scott Glosserman, the director and who's listed as a co-writer isn't credited on it. Huh. And in that version of the script, it basically ends at the pivot point of this movie. It just ends like the documentary crew is there and they're just accompanying him while he finishes the arc of the horror film. And then it cuts. And then there's a text scroll that says he killed X number of people this night. And then he went missing X number of years. Again, he resurfaced and killed more people and then went missing. And then at the end, it says something like, you know, he hasn't been seen in a number of years, but doc Halloran insists he will return. He's also in the, again, all I read was pretty much like the last few pages, but in, I guess in that he was specifically, he had a horror moniker of being the scarecrow. Hence his get up. There's a line in this movie that references it where he's lying inert and someone says, Ooh, creepy scarecrow during that final stretch. Yeah. And it says, Doc Halloran told everybody the scarecrow will return was going to be like the last line. So the ending we get in this film of that last quarter, that whole concept of the pivot wasn't part of the original pitch for the film. The original pitch was just the first three quarters, essentially. I know there was a courtroom scene too, towards the end that they maybe filmed, but didn't make the final cut. They didn't have the budget to kind of get it right. Okay. There's a bit in the the original trailer with him shouting, you know, or Doc O'Halloran shouting, you know, he needs an audience. It's from that, and it's not in the final film. And it, that wasn't in the deleted scenes I watched either. Just to roll back to that, you know, she needs the ballast type 
conversation that goes on. I feel like the intention of it was a nod to the inherent misogyny in a lot of the 70s, 80s, and 90s slashers that's out there. Yeah. But I do admit that it was poorly executed. Yeah. <laughs> when you do that, like in the, right around the same time as the gratuitous boob shot, which is, you know, distinctly just, hey, here's a gratuitous boob shot. Yeah. Like I get what you're trying to do. It just didn't. Didn't stick the landing. Yeah. It didn't land, like I said. Yeah. It, it goes into a lot of, yeah, the, the concept exceeds the execution in a lot of this by a lot. It's similar to what you just mentioned about the budget. That's something I should mention too. Is like clearly this movie was made on a shoestring, and so it has to be acknowledged. You know, clearly, I'm sure they had ambitions far beyond what they could afford to do. But kind of springing off what Nick was saying in terms of like all the the stuff they pull in as far as the broader thematic stuff, as far as you know, what the, what the closet symbolizes and all this, you know, the the, the broader historical impact of it. Oh, the closet stuff was yeah, it didn't work. Well, it didn't work, but I, I thought. What it goes into is what goes in throughout is where they try and pivot into doing more serious horror sequences, albeit with consistently with comedy, but leading into those actually leaning into the horror portions. It doesn't work for me, but it's it's very lovingly executed and it's very lovingly thought through. And that's one of the things like talking about the horror references that run throughout it. It's very clearly like even the stuff that's deconstructive of horror trips and whatever, it's clearly coming from a place of someone who loves the genre and isn't ridiculing it. Agreed. Not so at all. Yeah, no. These are tropes. We can always call these out. And I think that's one of the reasons that there's such fondness for the film is the movie. It's, it's, is it's not a mean spirited deconstruction of genre tropes. It's very loving of you know, it, is, it is a love letter to genre tropes. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. I just, some of the, the, the when they try to get a little, overtly philosophical about it the success rate was i'd say about 50 percent. there's an extended scene where they're you know the library scene where they're talking about books and stuff they lean hard into philosophers yeah yeah where they really get into different philosophies and talk about this and that that's pretty interesting though i can see why they cut it because it's like three to four minutes too long but it's interesting and it gets you know it's it's one of those things where it's like as eric said reach exceeded grasp but when you're doing that, like you said, lovingly and good spiritedly and not not trying to make people feel bad about stuff that they enjoy, even if it doesn't work, it's still a pretty entertaining ride. Yeah. Yeah. The horror genre so often is kind of the, feels like the object of derision, which I am not blameless in having to just talk backhandedly about the Saw franchise earlier in this episode, <laughs> but also in a loving way. <laughs> <laughs> I think it goes downhill fast, and I love it for it. Yeah, but saying a, a bad movie is bad is not saying that horror is bad, you know? No. Well, yeah, but, but it's, it is fun to see something that is deconstructive of tropes in that, for what keeps coming to mind, obviously, there's a lot of mockumentaries, obviously, but like the Christopher Guest stuff, Spinal Tap and whatever. It does, but, it, you know, it's it's in a very pleasant way. And, and which could be a tricky thing to do also in the horror genre, considering, again, it's that it does the pivot that it does in this last quarter. So for the comedy to work consistently, and it's not a case if you get to like the last quarter of the movie and all of a sudden they do a bit of a tonal shift aside from a, you know, an execution shift in terms of actually, you know, stepping out of a documentary and becoming part of the fabric of a movie itself. But doing that shift, like that's the sort of thing that normally you would run the risk potentially of like, if you, you could like sour the rest of the film, if it was too dark or you leaned to the hard stuff too much, or it went too mean spirited in that final, quarter in terms of how they approached it it would be like uh and then it's you just have this retroactive effect of like oh it was all fun and now it's i feel icky like if it had gone we, we were talking before before we started recording about french new extremity stuff like if it had suddenly turned into high tension in the last quarter or something Ooh. i don't know that might have been entertaining in its own right but uh in terms of the scale of of gore or whatever that's also one thing too this it's not a very graphic car film either it's in not. terms of of gore or something. So that's one of the things I think is kind of in its favor too, is that it's accessible. Yeah, exactly. Is is it feels like a harmu where it's very lovingly deconstructive of its tropes and does so in a way that's accessible, in which you can take someone who's not very familiar with the horror film and or doesn't like horror movies, but they could sit down and watch this and still probably have a good time. Agreed. Talking about the tonal shift, yeah, it, it, that's a hard trick to pull off, and not a lot of things get it right. 
you know, especially, you know, when you're, when you're going kind of dark in the third act, but you have to do more work in the first two, you know, the first two thirds to really pull off that tonal shift. Like you look at like summer of 84, there's enough work done in the first two thirds of that movie that when it goes as dark as it does in the third act, you're more ready for it. Like it's, it's shocking, but it doesn't feel like a different movie. If yeah. this had turned into something completely like that, it would feel like a different movie, and then it would just be like. Eh. So yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I'm inclined to agree. But again, we've talked a lot about how hard it is to get that balance in horror comedy, because it's just too. You know, if you go too far one way, you're watching Ernest Scared Stupid, and if you go too far the <laughs> other way, you know, it's it's just not funny. My argument for horror comedy has always been the same: is that you have to have established roles. For all the pieces on the board. So you have like your protagonists who are comedic in a horrific setting. You know, if like, for example, um, Shaun of the Dead. The greatest horror comedy of all time. Yeah. The zombies are fucking zombies. You know, they are vicious. They eat people. They There's gore left and right. You know, the horror is horror. And it's comedy existing in a horror environment. And I think that's the right formula there. You know, when when everyone gets to play back and forth around, it's crumbles the pieces so the way you fuck that up to kind of make a point is like so imagine Shaun of the dead but the zombies are from 28 days later doesn't work anymore so you you have to you got to get the right well, balance so that needs it, slow zombie it doesn't work doesn't don't don't even think too much about it, it doesn't work. <laughs> no 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 i i think i think that movie is a there. four minute movie with the 28 <laughs> days later zombies jake's like the, you're wrong before you even started <laughs> i will agree with you in this sense is that because my your immediate thought is but how the hell do you survive in that even and you're right it's like you can only have suspension of disbelief so far you can have comedic people who are just dumb enough to still be able to survive and then you have people who are just like no they're fucking screwed in this situation and anytime you have a they're just screwed in this situation how the hell is this possible you're beyond the comedy horror bit you're in the none of this is possible realm and comedy horror will not survive it so, so Eric, my, my birthday's in April, and I know I know we just missed Christmas, so I bring it up, but that gives you plenty of time to work on this. Nick just said, you're right to me, and I would like a, a super, cut super cut. I've done it before. Nick say, yeah, I know, like three times, and I don't remember which episodes they were in, but if you could find them, Eric, and super cut them, that would be, that would be a great birthday gift to me. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> listeners if you if you remember the instances of nick saying i was right and there can't be that many you know write in and let us know not only did nick say you're right but nick said you're right following at the start of a conversation where as soon as nick's jaw started to unhinge you said nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> air had not passed over his vocal cords yet and you're like you're wrong motherfucker <laughs> I'm still saying it is possible to pull off fast zombies in a horror comedy. Oh, but it I'm not takes saying a that. Level, it takes a level of skill, <laughs> a level of a nuance to pull it off. Well, but my, my point is, is that it's a completely different movie, but it's, it, it's an illustration of how that one shift, you go from, you know, Night of the Living Dead zombies to Return of the Living Dead zombies, and this movie functionally no longer works. You can still, you have Return of the Living Dead, which is a horror comedy with fast zombies, and that works. But Shaun of the Dead wouldn't like that's it's just a way of saying that it, it's subtle and it's hard and horror comedy is hard. You know, so many of the horror comedies you watch are like, OK, and then every so often you get Shaun of the Dead, you get Dead Snow 2 uh, and it and things really to really throw a curveball and drop student bodies on me. Yes. Or, um, Happy Death Day is another one. Hmm. Where it very much worked for me. I mean, you know, results may vary on all these things, but I think they get the mix right. Boy, was I fucking shocked when I watched Happy Death Day. I'm like, wait a minute, this is good? (laughs) I still need to watch it. But after watching the trailer for the second one, I'm like, oh, I got to watch these. They're both great. But, you know, the other end, you get like, (laughs) let me get it wrong again. Bloodfest? Uh, you're thinking Hellfest and Bloodfest. Yeah, I I get a mix. One One of them is a straight slasher. The other one's a horror comedy that's pretty good but not great. And it gets the mix wrong. It's still entertaining. It just, these things just very much illustrate how hard horror comedy is. I I think, I mean, what's the best one I've seen in recent years is probably, um, what was it? Little monsters. 
the Lupita Nyong'o one. Is that the Little Monsters was the name of it? Oh yeah, that we did back in episode fourteen. Yeah, the zombie yeah, one. The zombie yeah. World Tour one. That's delightful. Which is an is another absolutely perfect horror comedy because it gets it completely right. And again, slow zombies. So maybe that really is key. Anyway, that's my treatise on that. So I don't know. So, but this one, I I would say that that this really gets it right for about three quarters and then doesn't. That's a fair assessment. I have a hard time arguing with that. I'm going to, this is going to be my favorite all time episode, man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what to do beside myself. It was already on track to probably be our shortest one. It was like, well, Nick said Jake's right. You guys want to just call it. (laughs) Stop early, get a bite to eat. Shit. We might need to, man. We, we keep going. It, uh, (laughs) we're going to eventually find something to argue about. (laughs) Shit's like Thanksgiving, man. Everything starts out nice. (laughs) <laughs> and by the end somebody's throwing mashed potatoes so all right so here's a question this is another one of those reference bits so his last name in this is revealed to be mancuso right so which do you think is the accurate reference for that is it the frank mancuso who is the producer of the friday the 13th movies or is it nick mancuso who is the uncredited actor who played billy in black christmas friday the 13th yeah m- my brain first went to friday the 13th but that's because i've watched crystal like memories like two dozen times and so i've seen frank mancuso jr talk a lot <laughs> because he, he talks for you know, he was the producer on like what the first like eight something like that yeah, so he's yeah. they're both in the imdb trivia yeah it, it could be either my brain went to frank mancuso and then I, I the black christmas thing didn't occur to me until i saw the trivia i was like oh yeah it could be I, I feel like black christmas is just kind of shoehorned in by fans of this looking to have it added honestly you know while as you know Voorhees is mentioned explicitly multiple times. There's very little to suspect that Black Christmas is explicitly referenced in any of this. Well, I've seen I that enough Glossman that they've said he, he was, yeah. yeah, he was explicitly meant to be that. Like, he was written as that. Which is why the, the reference that him helping pioneer the business of fear was a, was a line leading to that. I, yeah, they, they, but they've mentioned that. I think they've mentioned that in the, the interview I read or two. Maybe. I might be making that up. I read about a few interviews in fairly short succession along with the trivia. So couldn't have given us one scene where Eugene calls Leslie at some point and, and, and he's just, hey, this is sorry, it's, it's <laughs> habit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the old habits die hard. That was one thing too. I, I, I did like, like the, the sensory deprivation stuff that he still does. And yeah. in a suit and tie still he got dressed up to go be buried in the backyard. Love it. For days. Three days. He's been here three days. And then he does the paranormal activity four bit with the red peppers. I was so happy. <laughs> He's so everything at their house is great in this. I just I just enjoyed that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. I've mentioned before one of my favorite wrestling podcasts is How to Wrestling with Kevin Mann and Joe Graham, and they'll go. Kevin Mann is a longtime wrestling fan. His partner, Joe Graham, she is not, but she's been into it for like the last, you know, eight, ten years or so. So they will pick a wrestler, go over it, and you know, and they'll kind of walk through this person's career. Joe started a t-shirt shop for how-to wrestling, which is called Wrong Wrestling Shirts. And it's all a picture of a wrestler, and then the name underneath it is wrong. So it's a picture of the rock, and then underneath it says Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ah. And, you know, and Hulk Hogan, and it says The Undertaker, and all, and it's all mismatched. I just had this image in my head that we should put on our T Public store a red pepper and just Paranormal Activity 4 underneath. And be, what the f- <laughs> Where did this merch come from? <laughs> it's just a red pepper and Paranormal Activity 4. We have to do that. I guess we, we do. Have to. We, we, like, like, so one of the one of my favorite things about having this podcast is just having this increasingly confusing collection of T-shirts. Because when you thought they couldn't get more niche, and it's not not all ours, you know, because I have our our um, interdimensional. What is it? Inter, no, inter, oh, um, Phantom Time Traveling Space Yetis. <laughs> Phantom Time Traveling Space Yetis, which people have looked at. Nobody's asked me about it yet, but I've seen them looking and go. And I'm just waiting for the day because, you know, how do you explain that? It's a reference I made on a podcast about a fucking, you know, found footage movie. Devil's Pass. It's still the, one of the most accurate descriptions of that film I've seen. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, I agree. No, look, it's great. And I love that T-shirt. You know, Fraggle Rock money is at least easy to explain. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> and gets a fun reaction every time. So really, that might be my favorite T-shirt. 
my new most inscrutable one is is I actually bought from uh, the Rustic store, which if you remember the address, Eric. Rustic film slash shop. Yep. Is from something in the dirt. It's the Rose Croutons. Yes. T-shirt, yeah. which is a picture of a rose and croutons. And this is my favorite T-shirt because there's no fucking way to explain that <laughs> in any way that doesn't make me sound insane. So I love it. Also, for folks who didn't listen to episode two of our Paranormal Activity episode from way, oh, way back when, just forgot to say. And why not? <laughs> if you've seen Paranormal Activity 4, there's the bit where the mom is downstairs cooking. And there's the bit where the knife disappears and it drops from the ceiling in front of her. And it's this jump scare bit. But if you listen to what she's listening to, it is a cooking video basically on the wonderful world of red peppers. Uh, it's, it's essentially explaining what red peppers are. They're not hot. They're sweet. Yeah. <laughs> like it's everything you ever wanted to know about red peppers is essentially the gimmick of it. And she's just watching this shit and nodding. Oh, not hot. Mm. <laughs> so it's just... and, and if you're really new to the podcast, this gives you an idea of everything, the kind of bullshit we've been doing for three <laughs> years. <laughs> we just started out running with <laughs> their second episode oh we should revisit those movies again no. i've thought about that uh, we're not starting with born uh, <laughs> i it's funny because born was the original was it he was a jakey snack you were calling it snacks. snacks i got to pick one movie after watching all this horrible crap that you guys like we should bring that back oh look i look i've enjoyed just a bit well that's a complete lie but I've enjoyed watching and recording and discussing all of the movies that we have talked about, with like maybe one exception that is, uh, it's all, all Nick's right. fault. But me, me and Eric have to have a sit down and figure out what we're going to subject you to next. Oh no, I we we know what franchise we're doing next, and I feel like I'm subjecting it on you guys because I'm the only one who saw it private to this, and I can't wait. This is going to be horrible. <laughs> This whole this whole year, year three, Jake's revenge. <laughs> Make me watch a year's worth of dream movies. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and there came a reckoning. Appropriate, really, if you think about it. It's what the fans want. <laughs> Man, this oh, we'll, we'll talk about that franchise after we're done. We got some stuff to talk about if we end up doing this. But to that end, I, I was hoping going into this, like I said, going into to doing this, and thanks to everyone who voted in our poll for it. it Thank was, you. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> you liked it. <laughs> yes, I liked it, but I want to win. Look, I'm Never a Sixers fan. Happen. I don't get this very often. <laughs> Never going to happen. I know you've got the whole competitive thing. I know, but it's, <laughs> look, just resign yourself to doom we'll give you the one the franchise we're talking about maybe we'll do that and be like all right look you've got like 11 fucking movies in you you got them in the bank you're good <laughs> doom we already watched doom i don't want to watch that again not doom <laughs> okay you okay maybe watch that jake we're, <laughs> we're going to help you win a poll and the way we're going to do that is we're going to make a poll with like four choices and you choose all of them so <laughs> you have to win. It's perfect. I feel like I'd still lose. I'd be like, oh, that wasn't the one I was hoping would win. A four-way tie. You'd get it mixed up. One of them would be Hellfest, and you'd pick and say, oh, yeah, that one. Oh, I meant Bloodfest. Fuck. Wait, I meant Creepies, damn it. Not Spookies. Now I don't even know which one. He just did it backwards. Oh, my God. <laughs> Too late. You said it. We're doing Creepies. No. <laughs> But this one was our quote-unquote communal pick, and it was partly because I knew it was like, all right, I don't think Jake will hate it. I know Nick likes it, but I don't think Jake will hate it. And you didn't, so I'm glad. No, I, I definitely didn't hate it. I enjoyed watching this, and it was one that Nick's been talking about for a long time, so I was, I was glad to have seen it. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. And look, I, it's a love letter to horror movies, man. So is our podcast. How am I going to hate it? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, our podcast sometimes a love letter to horror movies. More often than not, it's just screaming at each other about you know, <laughs> nonsense. You son of a jokes bitch. about red peppers. <laughs> <laughs> no, but and in case it didn't come through before, yeah, I I do like this film. It's a film I it it, it frustrates me a bit because it's one it's one of those I I see the execution and I was like, oh, if only you'd done like X, Y, and Z, and a lot of things that could be tweaked and whatnot again but i do very much admire its reach i don't think the grasp was there as, as we said but i think it's an admirable effort and i do think it's it's certainly fun and there's a lot there's stuff in it i still laugh at which is you know saying something i didn't watch this in ages but it was still fun to go back and revisit so, so yeah I'm, I'm glad it won hell yeah 
Yeah, I, I definitely laughed out loud a few times. Not just that, you know, I only buy pets that I can eat. Or the, uh, <laughs> they're, they're good to pad your numbers with late in the game. Yeah, the nerds. <laughs> and of course, the I guess the classic line from this is, you have no much car, much cardio I have to do. <laughs> yeah, you have to make it look like you're standing there and not moving. But <laughs> I figured as someone who just bought a heavy bag, you would appreciate that whole sequence of him. Oh yeah, shit. Like I, you know, I come home from work, I do half an hour on the treadmill, I go down and lift weights and hit a heavy bag, and I'm like, oh man, I could be a serial killer. <laughs> not, not true. The desperation in his voice during that scene is amazing. He goes, dude, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, we're saying again, he's quite good in this. Yes. Um, it's it's one of those, if with someone not a, of that caliber, someone who wasn't quite up to snuff, this would be, this could have really fallen apart more. But he's solid enough that even the bits that don't quite click where you're talking about, like where they try and bring in like some broader thematic stuff and it's like, ah, that doesn't quite work. But it, just the way he presents it, he, he does a good job even at that stuff. And the way he tries to toe that line with some of the more serious bits in the last quarter and trying to sell those the bits where they actually try and have him be somewhat legitimately menacing. Like when he, you know, confronts her, the documentarian Taylor, as she's leaving the diner and they have the scare, which is, you know, which her cohort is just shooting the whole time from inside the van. It's like, I ain't getting out. (laughs) I'm just going to see how this plays out. But, but yeah, bits like that. He, he works quite well. So again, in a movie that has a lot of stuff that could be a tricky balancing act, his character obviously is emblematic of all of that. And he does a very good job. Yeah, I I agree. It's funny. I, I think I would have liked to have seen, you know, a few of the, the scenes they talked about cutting or they didn't have the budget for it. I mean, they could have saved a little bit of money on the, uh, the end credit song and used something less glaringly obvious. That occurred to me, too. I was like, wait, how much did it cost him to license this? It couldn't have been cheap. Like, if that was cheap, you'd hear it in a lot more, you know, serial killer movies. Right! It's like, <laughs> like, it was one of the things that shocked me going back to it was, I was like, how does the movie, I don't remember the ending at all. How does it end? And then it was like, okay, it ended the, the bit with the cider press and whatnot. I was like, wait, they showed out for Psycho Killer? Holy shit! I just, I heard the first few notes and I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, I was just, again, shocked they had the money. I was like, wait, really? Like, look, I, you know, I'm still pissed that Judge Dredd movies didn't use Anthrax's I Am the Law, and even this was like, really? A little bit obvious. <laughs> they might have been the Carl Urban one. I don't remember. That was a good movie. I haven't seen the Carl Urban one, but I like the other time. one. Was you should. Fine. It's bad. The other one was better. one of the few movies that gave me uh, motion sickness in the, in the movie theater, randomly. Isn't Scott Wilson from this movie, like he's the leader of the mutants or something like that, the cannibal mutants in that one sequence? I, I believe so, yeah. yeah. So then. Judge Dredd connection. I ain't taking up that mantle. <laughs> I know you got community. Nick's got John Carpenter. I ain't taking up the mantle of Judge Dredd connection. <laughs> That'd be amazing. You know, it's kind of funny. We're, I was thinking about the music choices in this, and we're, we're recording this on David Bowie's birthday. So I was uh, listening to David Bowie all day. In fact, I'm, I'm wearing my Ziggy played guitar. Oh, uh, nice. Which is another one that's apparently inscrutable to some heathens <laughs> based on conversations I've had. But I, you know, I was thinking, you know what I would have played over the end credits if I was showing that money? Heroes. Because <laughs> that would have been hilarious. But anyway, it could be just because I had Bowie on the brain all day when I was thinking about this stuff and writing up my notes. But yeah, this is a fun kind of capper to our, our year-long Freddy arc. It's been a hell of a journey. Yeah, it's been amazing. It was certainly apt to something that is deconstruct well a explicitly references freddie multiple times in the film but yeah just as something as you know a, a riff and deconstruction of slasher tropes and then you know something with robert england but also just a fun film so yeah it was really just kind of a nice little fun ribbon to tie on the whole elm street series so yeah this worked out great thanks everybody thank you yeah I, in the end you know i'm bitter about losing a poll but i did enjoy the film so and i'm glad to have seen it <laughs> and and maybe now i'll get it less confused with hatchet Ah, oh, Hatchet. Oh, I love Hatchet. We'll have to do Hatchet. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen Hatchet. I just, for some reason in my brain, that Hatchet and this were the same movie. No. <laughs> no, you've seen one scene from Hatchet. We, we have played you one scene from Hatchet 1 because that's the one scene in Hatchet that makes me laugh more than anything in this movie. And this movie didn't make me laugh, but... The, the, <laughs> The Best Tony cameo. Todd scene in Hatchet <laughs> 1. <laughs> I know we've played that for And sued me for, for negligence. negligence. 
and watch me step on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we, we, we're going to do our horror weekend coming up. Maybe we watch Hatchet that weekend. Uh, yeah. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, we can do that. And The Conjuring. Maybe we can watch The Conjuring, too. God damn it, Jake. What is wrong what? with you? Who hurt you? You. <laughs> Me. <laughs> I thought that was explicit about that earlier. <laughs> you know what's going to be funny is, is you're finally going to see it and it's going to like it. No, I'm not. I know. You I'm might. Not. Look, now no. you're approaching movies the way I do. Mm. No. <laughs> now oh, who's a know. horror grump? <laughs> Well, we're certainly kicking around uh, some franchises to do <laughs> coming up. Probably not The Conjuring. Who knows? That's something we're going to be talking about. So to be determined what follows up this episode. But <laughs> one way or the other, whatever we do decide to follow this up with, you can find out by following us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Scary Stuff Pod. Then we're at Scary Stuff Podcast on Instagram. And other sundry Twitter <laughs> platforms are forgetting. <laughs> it's been a well, while. We're coming off the holidays. I haven't looked at social media in a while. Uh, Mastodon, Tumblr, and we've also got Letterboxd, too. If you want to follow us on there, we put anytime we've got a movie we're going to do that we've announced, we put it on our Letterboxd watch list. You can also go to our Letterboxd page, see every movie we've ever done, reference the episode that it's in. So it's a great way to look up what we have and haven't covered. So check us out there. There's a public uh, Spotify playlist that I maintain. Yeah, occasionally with songs that we've talked about on there. So if you ever want to see all the the music nonsense that's come up, a lot yeah, I guess of now you got to put Psycho Killer on there. Yeah, yep. Right, stop before we get copyright strike. Um. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> ten seconds. You get ten seconds. Ten seconds. <laughs> yeah. Thanks everyone for voting for this movie. Hope everyone enjoyed the discussion. It was nice to start 2023 on a fun note. So. We'll see what we end up doing next. We'll be back soon with something, though. In the meantime, this is Eric saying thanks again. Signing off. This is Nick saying, what kind of a survivor girl passes out in a pinch? Uh, this is Jake saying, again, happy new year and uh, happy David Bowie's birthday. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Are you defending the ghost dimension? No. Then shut the fuck up!